last year, we've been focusing on the refugee crisis here at Spark. We've actually done so for quite some time. And Lauren and Stacy were both touched by the issue, uh, wanted to go and find out more. And we were thrilled to be able to um, cover them with prayer. You all prayed for them before they went about six weeks ago or so. And we're really glad that you're here. Thank you for coming to share with us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to hear about um, two of your servants going and loving your people here on earth. We pray right now, Jesus, that you would open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears to what it is that you would have us to learn from them today. Thank you, God, for keeping them safe. Thank you for bringing them home in one piece and beautifully um, educated and motivated to continue to bring light to this important subject. Jesus, we bless you for the way in which you work in this community, and we ask right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, um, your palpable presence here in this room, Jesus, that we would be drawn closer to you through our time together. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. Thank you. So I'm Stacy. You now know a lot about me. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I'm Lauren. And we're here to share about our time volunteering with refugees in Greece for five weeks um, in June and July. Our presentation today is called Love the Sojourner, How Spark's Core Values Guide Our Understanding of the Refugee Crisis. Love the Sojourner comes from Deuteronomy 1019. Love the Sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So first, a little background on us. Um, I'm a high school student. Stacy is a high school teacher. Uh, and we both uh, became aware of the refugee crisis through Spark um, last year. And I had the opportunity through my school to apply for a travel and research grant. Um, and Stacy and I got connected and planned this trip with a threefold purpose. First, to help in what ways we could. Second, to research the crisis from multiple perspectives. And lastly, to bear witness to the human suffering, human resilience, um, and God's goodness despite it all. So some of the big questions that we came up with before we left on the trip were, what are the conditions and challenges that refugees now face? How has Greece been impacted by the crisis? And how are institutions responding to the refugee crisis from the EU to small NGOs on the ground? So first, we'd like to clarify some of the language that we'll be using. According to the UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, refugees are persons fleeing armed conflict or persecution. At the end of 2015, there were an estimated 21.3 million people worldwide who legally are refugees. For them, it's too dangerous to return home. The denial of asylum has potentially deadly consequences. Being a refugee, as defined and protected in international law, gives access to assistance from the states, from UNHCR, and from other organizations. Refugees are legally supposed to be granted safety from being returned home to the dangers they have fled, access to fair and efficient asylum processes, and measures to ensure basic human rights. Migrants, on the other hand, choose to move, and don't move because of an imminent threat to their personal safety. Migrants are not being persecuted to the point of violence or death, and typically choose to migrate because of work, greater economic opportunity, education, or family reunification. And, and this is very important, if they were to return home, they would continue to receive the protection of their government. The people moving to the EU include both refugees and migrants. We met people who had fled cities in Syria that had been completely overrun and destroyed by both civil war and ISIS, Yazidi families from the ethnic and religious group that had been repeatedly targeted by ISIS, including very recently, 
political refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and economic migrants from Morocco and Nepal. But for the most part, the people whom we met in the camps are fleeing the very same sources of violence that concern us here in the United States, ISIS, the Taliban, and other forms of terrorism and persecution. While U.S. media often portrays the refugee and migrant populations flooding Europe as the other, they are so much more like us humans than many of us imagine, not only in their humanity and their value for family, their longing for safety, but also in their fear of the same groups that we define as our enemies. For the purposes of our presentation, we'll mostly use the word refugee, as the vast majority of the people with whom we worked have applied for asylum. Um, to give some context, with Greece, the EU, and the global refugee crisis, of the world's 65-plus million displaced people, the vast majority are presently residing in Africa and the Middle East. The influx of refugees into the EU via Greece in 2015 and 16 grant, uh, garnered worldwide media attention, though. Over 1.2 million arrivals by sea happened during those two years. While well, last year many people traveled throughout the EU, currently many borders are closed within the EU, even in the Schengen passport-free zone. The EU-Turkey deal was struck, um, it went into effect on March 20th, 2016. It was designed to stop the flow of refugees into the EU through Greece, um, with guaranteed deportations, funding, and benefits for Turkey and the Turkish residents, but it's been largely unsuccessful. For the most part, people in Greece chose to apply for asylum, so they can't be deported while that's in process progress. Um, there's been inadequate funding for deportations, and the prospect of deportations has been met with much opposition and protest. Turkey has been declared an unsafe nation um, by the Greek judicial system, so people are not currently being deported there. There are therefore about 57,000 persons of concern presently in Greece, again, most of whom have applied for asylum, and many of the people that we worked with had family members elsewhere in the EU, and we're hoping to be reunified with them at some point. So now we'll give a brief overview of our trip. Our first stop was Athens. And in Athens, we started with an organization called the Schoolbox Project at the Piraeus Port Camp, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. Uh, that was essentially providing structured play for the kids there. However, that camp was in the process of being evacuated, and we felt that the Schoolbox Project lacked the structure necessary to be truly helpful for the kids there. So we went to the Elenico Abandoned Airport, where we helped with clothing and food distribution. There, we worked with an amazing organization called the Danish Refugee Council, which is an official UNHCR partner and employs Greeks um, nearby. And we worked there for the rest of our time in Athens. During um, our time in Athens, we also met and visited with other organizations, including a Filipino church based in Athens that pre prepares food for a nearby refugee camp four times a week and includes refugees in their services, as well as a Christian organization called Operation Mobilization, and a new project called the Refugee Care Center. We also met with the NPR reporter for Greece, Joanna Kakissis, who was able to give us great insight and context to the refugee crisis that she's been covering for the past year. From there, we took a ferry to the island of Lesbos, the island in the Aegean Sea, only six miles from Turkey. To give you some context, that's about as long as the Dumbarton Bridge is. Um, it's normally an affordable day trip from Turkey to Lesbos um, by ferry, but Lesbos became the primary gateway for refugees fleeing the Middle East and trying to enter the EU, as we saw in news stories here in the States. Our initial volunteer commitment was with a program called Swim Safe, Love the Sea, started by a Greek lifeguard group that was keeping watch for boats that are still coming to Lesbos slowly. 
Um, however, staffing and safety issues um, led us to recommend that the program be put on hold while we were there. So at the same camp, Caratepe, we found another nonprofit that was doing breakfast distribution and some children's programming, and they welcomed us as volunteers for the rest of our time on the island. Um, they were especially grateful that we were there because they were doing the breakfast shift, but it was Ramadan, so their, their shift was split. So they served Ramadan-observing families in the evening and non-Ramadan-observing families in the morning. Um, we also got a lot of time with the kids at the camp as a result. We explored the island, including the small seaside town of Scala Sycaminius that many of you may have read about in the news. Um, that was the landing point of over 100,000 people over the past few years. It's a tiny, tiny seaside town with three restaurants, a few cafes, a few gift shops. Um, it's, it's, you can see Turkey from the shore there. Um, we visited the graveyard of Life Jackets, which is actually the island dump. Um, and now houses um, tens of thousands of life jackets, many of which did not save or were not capable of saving the people who were wearing them. Um, groups are still actively cleaning up the shores, even from the heaviest period of sea crossing um, that, that have significantly slowed since the EU-Turkey deal in March. So then we took a short flight from Lesbos to Thessaloniki, um, which is nearby many refugee camps in northern Greece. Our time in Thessaloniki coincided with the end of Ramadan, and we noticed a park nearby our, our apartment where about 100 refugees were spending their days. So on the last day of Ramadan, we brought them halva, which is a sweet food um, and a traditional way to break fast for Ramadan. Then in a short stopover in Paris, we were able to meet with the NPR reporter for France, Eleanor Beardsley, and she gave us some really good information and insight um, into what it's like for refugees in the rest of Europe, just beyond Greece, and also the Islamophobia that plagues France in particular. So now we'll describe the different refugee camps that we experienced in particular. The first camps we visited were in Athens. Piraeus, which is the port of Athens, um, and it's at the bottom right, um, was then home to about 2,000 refugees, although earlier this year it held more than 4,000. Conditions there are definitely rough, and it's a completely informal camp. Um, with all the families sleeping in camping tents on the hot pavement and parking lot, um, with little opportunity for shade and shelter from the occasional storm. In Piraeus, there are also giant supply trucks still going through the area at probably 50 miles per hour, with kids running around and camps set up. Uh, refugees at Piraeus are not yet registered or documented in any way, so they live at risk of deportation, especially if they leave this designated area. Piraeus was soon to be evacuated while we were there, um, but during our time in Piraeus, I met a girl who was caring for her youngest sibling in a stroller. She took me over to her tent, um, which was sort of far away from the others, and her mother invited me in. She's a single mom with five kids ranging from seven months old to 12 years old. We later learned that the location of her tent, far away from the sheltered area where many other tents resided, probably meant that she was more of an outcast in this mini-camp society. We learned that this type of camp politics is very messy and puts families like this one at high risk because they lack protection um, in the form of a husband or father um, or even of their fellow refugees. On Lesbos, the majority of refugees are actually detained in a place called Maria, an abandoned prison that was first used 
um, a shelter this past winter, but has since been repurposed into a detention center after the EU-Turkey deal mandated deportations. We were not allowed to volunteer there, but we drove past it. It's a high-security prison. It's a large compound that's surrounded by razor wire and heavily guarded by police. We read reports of police abuse within the camp, whose population is majority single young men. And that's because the two camps that we did visit, shown here, Karatepe and Pikpa, um, serve a high-risk population. They mostly serve unaccompanied minors, families um, without a male head of household, and the elderly. Both of these camps, fortunately, had decent accommodation from the shelters developed by IKEA in conjunction with the UNHCR, um, to cabins from former summer campgrounds, and residents have created shaded areas with wooden pallet furniture to congregate and converse. Um, there's semi-permanent bathroom facilities, 24-7 access to clean water, um, many nonprofits and NGOs working there, and longer-term Greek government employees that are stationed there. In Karatepe, we got to know the children pretty well, um, including this little boy, five-year-old Shahab, who's a Yazidi Iraqi. Um, he told us that his father was in Germany, or Alemania, and his siblings are in Iraq and in Germany. He was at Karatepe with his younger sister and his mother, and he told us right before we left that in three days he was going to Athena, to Athena, to Athens, where ideally he would then be moved to Germany to be reunited with his dad. So we hope that that is what happened with his family. Um, and this brings us to the spark values that we saw throughout our journey. We noticed again and again the need for each of the values and the difference it made when they were present. So first we'll talk about love. So one of the ways that we were able to tangibly express love was through clothing distribution in Athens at the Eleniko camp. Uh, millions of pieces of clothing had already been donated by Greek residents and they were being stored in a warehouse in the old airport in Athens. The Danish Refugee Council had just started developing a system for fairly distributing clothing to the 4,000 people living in this abandoned airport and Olympic Stadium. We saw in the DRC staff members an equal commitment to compassion and pragmatism. Compassion for the individuals who have been wearing the same clothes for months and who have so few choices in their lives that the choice of clothing would bring such relief, but also pragmatism, the need to set in place an orderly and equitable system for giving out the clothing. As one DRC staff member said, I would spend hours with each woman if I could. Their approach reminded us of the important aspects of effective NGOs that Dr. Kurt Rhodes had taught us about when he visited us in May. It was also really difficult to distribute clothing because clothing is one of the last places where refugees can find individuality, and yet we had to say no and often just move on to the next person. There was one girl, uh, one of the first that I helped, who was about my age, 16 or 17, and I was struck by how different our experiences of getting clothing are. I get to be sized, go to any number of stores around me or online, and have money to do all that. So it was hard to see that love looked like handing a girl who's my age just a used bra and a pair of underwear from a box, but in that situation, it was love nonetheless. Our work with children in the camps also illustrated both cause for concern, but also cause for hope. Um, the children have been exposed to a lot of trauma from war and violence, loss of relatives and loss of home from displacement. And we saw that both physically, many of them had stunted growth, where we often estimated their age to be three or more years younger than they actually were. Um, and also psychologically and emotionally with just conflict among themselves and a lot of acting out. One example of this trauma was a four or five-year-old girl um, who, in order to get attention from the volunteers who are about to leave for their lunch break, started cutting her arm with a plastic knife. Um, 
And that was just one example of the really intense trauma that they've uh, undergone and what it's now going to take to resolve some of those issues. Uh, and for volunteers, love in this situation looks like being educated about um, the intense trauma that the children have undergone and how to best uh, work with that. So one of these um, points of education for volunteers is uh, on the part of just short-term volunteering um, and how that can actually be harmful to children if they're constantly being reintroduced to volunteers who then leave after one or two weeks. Um, we also noticed a lack of schooling among the children. Um, often they explained that they either had never been to school or their younger siblings had never been to school or one nine-year-old boy named Ahmed who could speak really good English um, told us that he hadn't been in school for a year and a half. And so we saw part of our role, and um, there was some cause for hope with the NGOs and the nonprofits that we were working with, um, that there are some bridge programs in place. So the, um, the children's program that we did included just things like starting with a circle and ending with a circle, learning how to take turns, learning how to resolve conflict peaceably. Um, and there were also some English, Greek, and math classes. Um, the kids seemed really eager to learn English. They were always showing off to us. One of the little girls, Ra'a, who's in the upper left corner, would always grab our hands and just start belting out the ABCs to show that she knew how to say them. Um, and so it also just reminded us, sorry, it reminded us that the, um, humans are very resilient. So even despite so much trauma, we have a lot of hope that with proper support, these children can move on to flourish. And we even noticed in the differences between the ch camps in Athens and on Lesbos that the children on Lesbos who had more structure and more permanence um, had a lot better behavior and were less prone to conflict with their peers. Um, we also saw love in action when working alongside our refugee friends. Um, a common Arabic phrase that's translated into English is, my friend, my friend. So whenever we were walking around, obviously volunteers, people would just call out, my friend. And it, it was kind, but also just a reminder that they're not our enemies. They're our fellow human beings. Um, they were constantly reaching out to us. We got to work alongside a number of young male refugees who were volunteering. Um, the one pictured here is from Morocco. His name's Ayu. He was showing us the apps on his phone. We were talking about Justin Bieber. We were packaging lunches together. Um, and some of the other men that we met at Karatepe they were just explaining that they were doing what they could to keep busy because they were just overcome with such boredom. They hadn't been home for six plus months. They didn't know where they would go next, and they were trying to help out at the camp. So um, the breakfast preparation that we participated in, which is in the top right, was completely characterized by teamwork among the volunteers and the refugees. Many male refugees and migrants were constantly showing up every day um, and showing love for their fellow refugees and migrants, and at the same time disproving the stereotype that Muslim men are dangerous. Um, as you'll see in the next video, which is just a few minutes long, is made by Caroline, who was our team leader on Lesbos. It was her third trip to Lesbos, so she had returned multiple times over the past couple months. And you'll see that both the children's activities and the food distribution help foster the sense of community in this particular camp. been gone for a while now Since I left three weeks have passed Maybe it's best to go back home now Cause running them streets just makes me sad 
I wish I didn't see those pictures of you in my mind. I wish I didn't see them all the time. Tell me, can I return back home? Please tell me, cause I've been away for too long. Tell me, can I return back home? Cause home is where I belong. So even though I try to forget you, My one and only world. I wish I didn't see those pictures of you in my mind. How I wish I didn't see them all the time. Tell me, can I return back home? Please tell me. Doesn't matter where I go, no, no, 'cause I get your voice inside my mind. You're singing, you're feeling left behind. Oh, I know that this was wrong, 'cause girl, you're all I'm looking for. Yes, and I won't walk away no more. Tell me. That was from a Dutch organization called Because We Carry. That has what team number were they? Do you remember? Thirty-seven. Team thirty-seven. Yeah, week-long teams going there for thirty-seven weeks straight. So next, we'll talk about um, two more core values: rescue and reconciliation. One big lesson that I've learned throughout this whole process is that refugees are capable of being the solution to their own problems. For example, the refugees who help daily by translating and working in food preparation or clothing distribution that we've talked about. I have often uh, assumed and fallen into the trap um, of assuming that white or European or American volunteers much, must stretch out helping hands for a helpless people, and that's a script that the West tends to follow. But in reality, refugees are skilled people with dignity and their own cultures. Um, and who are more than capable of taking on primary roles in their own rescue process. 
And as for reconciliation, one great example um, of the reconciliation process is Israel, um, which is an Israeli organization that is doing some of the most important work on Lesbos, psychological support for refugee women and children in high-risk camps like Karatepe. To do this, they're working with Muslims, Orthodox Christians, Greeks, Europeans, everyone they need to. This type of cross-faith mobilization really mirrors the reconciliation that's necessary to resolve some of the issues involved in this crisis. We witnessed reconciliation in the very fact that the camp populations are extremely and to us surprisingly diverse. Um, We met people from Syria, Afghanistan, Pakistan, a region called Baluchistan, which I didn't even know existed, Nepal, Iran, Iraq, Palestine, Morocco, the Democratic Democratic Republic of Congo. They spoke a variety of languages from Arabic and Kurdish to Dari, Farsi, Pashto, French, and English. Um, And they practiced a variety of religions, including Yazidi, which is its own religion. And there were many Shia Muslims um, in the majority Sunni Muslim countries. They tend to be the ones who are persecuted, so they've left. Um, Many of them were observing Ramadan, but many of them also were not. So it's extremely diverse at these camps. Another huge piece of rescue and reconciliation is the Greek hospitality that we witnessed. So here are a few things that we heard from the Greeks. I'm glad the refugees are in a safe place like Greece and not somewhere worse. That was Nellie, who's in the top right, um, the hotel owner of the hotel that we stayed at. And um, she was just incredible and obviously so hospitable. These people are our guests. This is Stavros, um, a municipal government leader who runs Karatepe. And um, from what we experienced, he takes this very seriously and wants to take care of the refugees as his guests. Imagine if my country were at war and I had the chance to leave. I'd do the same thing. This was the owner of the Heroes and Suvlaki restaurant that we ate at twice. Um, So as you can see, everyone exhibited a remarkable patience, especially given their economic crisis. Um, And what what Greeks call philozenia, or love for the other, which of course is a huge contrast to xenophobia, fear of the other. And um, we also saw reconciliation among the volunteers who were coming. Most of them were coming from Northern Europe, and there were also a few of us Americans. Um, Many of us come from wealthy countries where we have the luxury of taking time off of work or out of school. Some people even quit their jobs to go volunteer long term. Um, We learned from the Greeks that there tends to be a perception among Northern Europeans that the Greeks are less sophisticated. And there tends to be a perception among the Greeks that Northern Europeans are very cold and sometimes even arrogant. So volunteering side by side with Northern European and Greek volunteers and um, volunteers working for Greek-run organizations helped to inform both groups about one another. And similarly, the refugees that we met were so surprised that we would come from the United States to Greece just to volunteer um, and seemed to be honored even by, yeah, by that, um, our ability to be in the hot, dusty camps with them. Um, the arrival of volunteers from these regions who are actually focused on helping other people, um, the motto that we kept repeating to each other and to our fellow volunteers was, it's not about you. Um, and we also learned that there is a challenge among the organizations just to house and host short-term volunteers, especially if they have to deal with logistics and feeding the volunteers and finding tasks for them to do. And a number of organizations shared with us that they're really stressed out transitioning from meeting the immediate needs of refugees coming into the country, so um, feeding them and housing them, to getting ready for the long haul as Greece is figuring out its plan of what they're going to do with this population, um, needing to educate them and provide jobs and things like that. So next we'll talk about resurrection briefly. 
Um, Greece is, in short, a beautiful country with a struggling economy. Um, right now, they're bearing the burden, of course, of thousands and thousands of people entering into the EU, detained within its borders. Um, and additionally, Lesbos, which is the island where most of the refugees arrived, um, is a vacation destination. And after welcoming these tens of thousands of refugees over the past year, including through the cold winter months when most hotels and restaurants would remain closed, um, opening their um, hotels and restaurants and businesses to the refugees and the volunteers. Many restaurant owners made thousands and thousands of meals for refugees before even the Greek government or other nonprofits could respond to the crisis. Hotel owners gave discounted or free rooms to volunteers. And now, during what should be the peak tourist season, people are staying away from the island after reading the headlines and seeing pictures of dead bodies washed up on shores that aren't even necessarily Lesbos's. So their island economy, which, as you can imagine, is already pretty fragile, is struggling. The business owners uh, we talked to said that tourism is down 80% this summer. So if you can, we highly um, encourage that you visit. They were so grateful um, for our business, and everyone really deserves the business there. For them, embodied resurrection would look like new life being breathed into their island and home, where there was recently so much death and destruction. And finally, a core value of our church is to elevate the reputation of God in our world. As we've learned more about God and his goodness, we're further compelled to represent him well when we go abroad especially, um, to help correct misunderstandings and repair damage done wrongly in his name, and to participate in some of his kingdom work. One amazing example of this is a church called Word International Ministries in Athens, um, and it's a small church of Filipino expats and refugee families. Um, and not only do they translate services into Urdu, but they also cook and package meals for, refugee, for a refugee camp outside Athens four days a week. And when we were there, they had a Father's Day celebration where they honored both the Filipino fathers from their um, congregation as it was a couple of years ago and the refugee fathers who have just recently joined. It was really beautiful to see. Um, and many people asked us why we weren't going on a Christian mission trip and why we were choosing to volunteer with secular organizations, um, even though we're Christian. And we chose secular organizations for a number of reasons. Um, first, a few phrases come to mind that Christ's love compels us, as Paul writes about reconciliation in 2 Corinthians. Um, we planned the entire trip after learning more about the refugee crisis from our church here. And when we just shared that tidbit of information, it already surprised so many volunteers um, that our church would actually preach about serving refugees. Um, another phrase that comes to mind is from John's first letter, where he says, we love because he first loved us. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we chose to prioritize showing that through serving, through whatever organization we felt was doing a really good job, which for our case tended to be secular organizations. Um, and we also found that many Christian organizations were banned from camps um, because they didn't know how to serve their predominantly Muslim populations in a sensitive manner. So the secular organizations that we were working with did an excellent job with that. Um, we also shared a little bit about some practices that we realized more when we were working with um, non-Christian organizations that our practice is important to us, but maybe not to others. So we shared the idea of Sabbath and rest, and that if we're going to be serving for the long term, it's okay to take some breaks, and that we can trust that God is still doing the work. Um, and also um, the value of organizational health um, and the idea of unity in an organization of diverse people. Um, we tried to share some insights and um, highlight the ways that organizations were staying healthy in that. 
So what can we do from California? Um, some things are to make sure that we're donating to healthy organizations. Fortunately, we continue to hear great things about World Vision. Though they're not working in Greece, they are working in Lebanon and other places in the Middle East, um, looking for organizations that have fair food and supply distribution processes, um, ones that are UNHCR partners. They've already been vetted to work in the camps, um, following Kurt Rhodes' guidelines about efficient and effective organizations, and ones that have strong on-the-ground leadership. You can also encourage and participate in fact-based discourse among your friends and relatives and coworkers. Emphasis on fact-based and not fear-based. Um, the International Rescue Committee actually has some... Op- they were working at Caratepe alongside us, and they also have offices here in San Jose and in Oakland, and they help families resettle in this area. Um, so they help with housing, jobs, and education, and they also assemble family welcome kits, and that's something that our church could participate in. There's a shopping list of linens and other home items that they provide families with as they resettle. It's also really valuable to stay educated about the crisis, Um, The podcast This American Life is releasing an episode this Friday about refugees and migrants. So if you're interested in learning more, that will be a great resource. They actually went to many of the places that we were at um, and interviewed people on the ground. Um, And then another important action is just to fight racism and colorism in all circumstances. I was continually struck by how much um, of the issues uh, involved in the refugee crisis have simply to do with racism and colorism. Um, So wherever you are, um, making sure to participate in dialogue about race is incredibly important. Yeah, both abroad and in our own country. And being in the EU when Brexit was happening, we heard a lot from other Europeans just about fear-mongering and fear of immigrants and fear of the other. So um, learning about that and fighting that wherever we see it in whatever forms. Um, And finally, as Christ followers, to pray, to pray for the refugees, that they can be resettled well, to pray for governments and organizations to handle it um, sensitively and efficiently, to pray for Greece as they're bearing this burden, to pray for the other countries in the Middle East and in Africa that are um, housing a completely disproportionate number of displaced people, um, and to pray that in our hearts that we'll continue to see God's image in other people and continue to love people who may look different from us or seem to come from different circumstances, but to know that that's one of our highest callings. So thanks for listening to us and for supporting us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, both of you. Amazing. Um, I'd just like to close with a couple, one announcement and then a verse. Um, the annou- quick announcement is I just received this weekend an email from Kurt Rhodes of Questcope, who visited us most recently, and he said uh, he'd like to come back and visit us again in October, but this time for more of an intensive tri- um, understanding of what is happening and how do we respond to it. Not from a political point of view, but how do we respond to human suffering. And then sit down with our leadership teams and persons interested to talk about how we might be able to go and work for a week or two in Jordan with Questcope. Um, but with Congregation at Chaim. So Jews and Christians together going to serve the Muslim population in um, just outside of Amman at the Zatari um, refugee camp. So I just wanted to let you know that that's um, one of our next steps. One of the reasons why Spark um, invested and wanted Stacy and Lauren to go um, was because we wanted to find out if there was an organization that we could go and volunteer and serve with in Greece um, or in some of the other countries that are um, bringing in a lot of refugees. And the answer is no. There's not right now a good place for us to serve. But that was so good to learn. 
Um, and it was important for us to be able to, for you guys, thank you for doing the hard work of finding organizational health and finding places where we can go without hurting. And we found out there's not really a great place for us to serve there right now um, for just a short period of time. If someone here speaks Arabic and you'd like to go and serve for several months, then we can make sure there's great recommendations for you. Um, but right now, uh, the organizations are in flux and it's just not a, it's not helpful for people to just go for a couple weeks. So, Save your money, except for go to Le- go to Lesbos just a tour. Like there's other things you can do, uh, but a World Vision and Quest Scope and others are going to be continue to be places where we can serve, and we're exploring more ways for the talent pool that is available here at Spark as well as in Congregation at Schaim. For those of us who are equipped with understanding trauma or PTSD or can put on some events for children, maybe what we're going to be able to go and do at QuestScope is just give the regular volunteers there a break or minister to the regular volunteers that are there. Because QuestScope has a very high bar and they work with the UN quite a lot and they're very well respected. You can't serve at QuestScope as an intern unless you've been speaking Arabic for five years. (laughs) Um, which is great. You know, you should be actually able to speak to the people that you're trying to work with. So they have a very high bar, but they are excited about the talent pool that's here and what we might be able to do. So we'll be brainstorming and praying more about that. Um, so you can join us in those prayers and we'll be updating you on all of that. Um, also, um, IRC rescue committee, they have an office in San Jose. And you can find opportunities just with rescue.org. Go and visit. There's places where we can serve here. And we can still be uh, rallying behind our politicians to say we care deeply about this issue. Uh, We have two congregations here, a Jewish one and a Christian one, that'd be willing to host a family. Can you give us one or two families that we can help and care for together? So we'll be finding those ways to serve locally as well as finding opportunities to continue um, to see if there's a way, a good way, to make a good impact abroad. We'll find out. Um, And we'll continue in that process. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus and for representing Spark in that community. Let's pray. Father God, um, the suffering in this world and and the injustice and the unfairness here um, in our own communities, often in our own homes, and even um, far off and abroad— Jesus, we often don't have words. Um, In fact, we rarely have words that can respond to that. But we hear your call to love and to spend our time loving those who are in need. So, Jesus, we um, just lay our lives before you this afternoon and say, use us, Lord. Give us wisdom and discernment and use us.
And may we be loving you as we love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.